Welcome to the Modern Manifestation Podcast. I'm your host, Bree Brown, a business mindset coach, entrepreneur, and a top competitor in a male-dominated industry. I'm a native Texan, the youngest of all brothers, and a lettuce-hating, wine-loving, curses-like-a-sailor recovering perfectionist. I've spent over a decade building my commission-based career, and my life's purpose is helping other women achieve the same multi-six-figure success I achieved before I was 25. I have a passion for helping women with mindset, money, and manifestation skills to help every young woman realize her full potential. If you're looking for vulnerable conversations, professional development, inspiration, or even a kick in the ass to get you motivated, you have come to the right place. Thanks for checking out the Modern Manifestation Podcast. Now let's jump right in to today's topic. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on what time you are tuning in. I have a very special treat for you guys this Monday. As a part of this podcast series, I want to bring on more voices from badass women that are doing amazing things. And today, I have just that person. Suhaila Wahid is a serial entrepreneur, fundraiser, philanthropist, and published author living in Austin, Texas. She began her career as a fundraiser in the nonprofit sector while sitting on many boards around Central Texas. Before she was 30, Suhaila founded her own company, Giving Geeks, that supports companies and individuals looking for a meaningful way to increase their fundraising efforts and social impact through development conversations. Suhaila is also the published author of Tales from the Clothesline, a beautiful collection of poetry inspired by the vulnerable, authentic, and passionate stories of women through time. Wow. I am so excited this morning to have a chance to interview Suhaila. We jump into really vulnerable topics, conversations, and discuss the journey and the process she took in order to write her very first book. You guys, Suhaila is a fantastic interviewee. I know there's so much you guys can learn from her, and I'm so thrilled that you're tuning in for this episode. I will check back in with you guys at the end. Good morning, Suhaila. Good morning. How are you, Bree? I'm doing absolutely well. How are you? I am doing well. I'm so excited to be here. Great. We love having you, especially as our first podcast guest. I am woo, thrilled woo. <laughs> to have you on here. <laughs> That's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big deal, and I... You know, I'm going to take all the credit I can get, all the street cred, you know. So. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm honored. Good, good. Anytime. And one of the quest- first questions I wanted to jump into before we talk about your book is mm-hmm. you have, you are a boss ass bitch and I hope you don't mind me using that Hello. language. <laughs> and I mean, you are so many things for our community and mm. I think it's incredible that, you know, not only have you taken the time to be a self-published author, but, you know, you are heavily involved. And because I've seen you a lot around the community in entrepreneurism, in philanthropy, in in fundraising, can you talk with us a little bit about what got you inspired to jump into all these various industries, but specifically the philanthropy, the fundraising, and things that are community specific, et cetera? I think that I would say that I have always been a community-oriented person. I have always been pretty deeply invested in my community. I did not necessarily know that I was going to 
take this certain career path that I've chosen to this day, you know, but at the same time, I tried to go with what meant the most for me, what was the most important thing for me to do in my lifetime. And just finding myself supporting my community, trying to solve very important issues with them was the most important factor. And I don't think I could have seen myself doing anything else. You know, we, we kind of had a moment to chat a little bit before this, but one thing that I'll say is that whenever I have the opportunity to look at the people that came before me and see how they lived their life, I am always inspired by my ancestors. I'm always inspired by my own grandmother and just so many people around me that are living their life to the fullest and really putting something back into the world more than they took out of it. And it just kind of Right now and today, we're kind of in a space where our community is mourning because, mm-hmm. you know, last night we lost wonderful and honorable man, Chadwick Boseman, who is famously known for having a lead role in the Black Panther. And so when I think about things that inspire me, him deciding to move through that role so powerfully and at the same time, you know, uplift an entire community who is struggling to stay, to maintain hope was extremely important for me to see. And so in looking at what he did and looking at what all of the others who came before him did, I definitely feel like it is a choice to lead, you know, and it is a choice to be a part of your community and do what you can to make it better. And so I consciously make that decision to embed that in everything I do. And it's absolutely vital for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think that his death hits hard for a lot of people. And I think the one thing I take away from him is just he embodied that image of strength in my mind. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think it's it's hard for everyone to see his death. I do think it's been beautiful to see a lot of people come together and just share in the morning of that. And so I think that speaks volumes yeah. to the impact he had. Yeah. He he definitely certainly had an impact that we I did not know that we were going to experience in our lifetime for sure. You know, and, and, and it wasn't just him, of course, it was that entire cast and all of the producers and, and everyone that put their blood, sweat and tears into that film. It was more than just a Marvel movie. It was it was the modern superhero, the black superhero that we needed to see. And as a black woman, I think that, you know, all that the the very minimum that we can ask for is to at least see ourselves mm-hmm. in, in, in roles that shine a light on our, our best characteristics and our best qualities instead of our pain, you know, and instead of mm-hmm. our hurt. That is a part of the story, of course, but seeing ourselves in roles that exemplify honor and upstanding character and everything that every single one of those actors portrayed was an amazing thing to watch. And I like many other people and I'm sure like yourself have seen that movie way <laughs> too many times. Right? <laughs> oh, we <laughs> own it on like three different copies. <laughs> right. Right. You know, but, but every single time you get that same powerful feeling, like you're there, like mm-hmm. you're in that moment. And so I'm very grateful. Yeah, like, sense of pride. For yeah, I'm very grateful for him taking on that role and and doing not just the role but doing the active work in his community. You know, Chadwick was very active in his community, and so 
being able to see that from him is is an inspiration for me to keep pushing for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's incredible. I appreciate you for bringing that up, and you kind of yeah. touched touched on something that I didn't think I was going to get into on this podcast, but I think it's worth mentioning. You mentioned that being able to to see people like you and see yourselves on the screen in these superhero like roles, and mm-hmm. for me, you know, I've been trying to do a lot of education on everything that's going on with the Black Lives Matter movement and white privilege, et cetera. And what I found eye-opening is about five, 10 years ago, I would have said, oh, well, I don't have white privilege because I didn't grow up super wealthy and I had my own financial struggles and my own family struggles and things like that. And what I've done a lot of research on and and come to realize is that that's actually not what white privilege is. It's It's the little things like going to the movie theaters and not seeing yourself represented, whereas I see myself represented everywhere. And that's what right, white privilege yeah. is, has nothing to do with your financial struggles growing up, had everything mm-hmm. to do with the fact that you could look at any book, any movie, any, you know, and find yourself in it, in roles like mm-hmm. superheroes, in roles like, you know, badass business women or whatever. And that's just something I took for granted and something I've really done a lot of reflecting back on recently. And I think it's important yeah. that, you know, I just wanted to say that because I know that I'm still continuing to have that conversation with people, even in my own family to say, hey, I actually don't think you fully understand what that word actually means, the, the load behind it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just in recognizing how a community of people exist in a space is extremely important to understanding white privilege mm-hmm. and that no matter what financial stability we had or didn't have growing up, race plays a huge factor Mm -hmm. in accessibility and opportunity. And when it comes down to the bottom line, the experience of, of being a black man, woman, or child in the United States or a person of color is, is extremely difficult and Mm -hmm. it should not be that way. And so, yeah, that first step is acknowledging what you have and then taking the steps to remove that, you know, to dismantle this system that works perfectly to oppress people of color. I could not agree more. I think that's a beautiful way to to bring that full circle. Man, I did not expect us to go down that path this morning, but I'm glad we did because I think it's an important topic for people to continuously discuss and to keep to the forefront to make sure that progress is still being made. Yeah. And you know, one it's, I just want to say this too, is just that like, I think that what you just said is so important because a lot of, which is a part of, of a privilege that people, that white people get to have, which is that, you know, when you, they wake up and when they go out to the store, they don't expect to have to deal with heavy things mm-hmm. as early in the morning as people of color. And for my friends and I always say, you know, this is like, and this is some this is an all day situation, you know, like this is like morning through night. Mm -hmm. This is something that we deal with. We have our moments of, of joy often, you know, we, we certainly do not exist just in pain, but at the same time, our fight is not nowhere near being over. And so it is a, it is a daily battle for Mm -hmm. us for sure. So I'm glad that we just certainly talked about that first. Yeah. And I think it's beautiful too, you know, what we're talking about today on the the podcast primarily is your self-published book, A Tales from the Clothesline. Yeah. And I think it's incredible, you know, talking about setting an example 
for you know younger Black women. Here you are putting your heart and soul into this book, covering critical topics like self-love and worth, race, abuse, you know, fi- family dynamic issues, and you're covering your entire life experience essentially from birth to where you are now as a woman. And I think it's incredible that you're offering this up as, hey, here are some struggles and things that I went through. And I'm a self-published author and I'm a badass and I'm doing all these things in my life now. And you're allowing yourself to then become that example for those younger black women. And you're then, you know, giving them that sort of platform as well by by your own voice. Can you talk about was that on your mind as you're writing this book? Or, you know, what do you hope those young women take away from reading your book? Yeah. So the first thing that I that I will say is I don't know if you if you know her, but a reality star and phenomenal woman by the name of New York, she was in a conversation once where it was about skin complexion. And, you know, she was talking with someone about just kind of check them, that person checking themselves about their their own privilege, right? Their own light skin privilege, per se. And so she was discussing this. And mm-hmm. one thing that she asked this individual to do was to say, you are a black woman, or you claim to be black, you you have to stand in it in all shades. And she was specifically talking about colorism in that in that video. And when you talk about blackness, remember that it comes in 100 different shades, and you need to stand in it. And so I think that when I wrote this book, one thing that people do believe is that these exper- all of these experiences are my own, and they actually aren't. It's a collection of an experience that so many women have, whether they mm-hmm. are Black or not. And that was one of the most important factors in the book, was just to showcase how different we are, you know, maybe in, in character and in background, but there's a common thread here that we share. And the most important thing that we can do is to acknowledge it and stand in it in its changing shades and stand in it for the woman that you do know, for the woman that you don't know. And so that was the main point of why I brought multiple experiences for women of different ages and backgrounds and specifically understood from the black from the experience of a young black woman but one thing that i kind of thought about when i was writing this 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 book is just how new york made a very important point about just standing in and you know color in all shades when you are a black woman and i took that on a little bit in this book and not specifically about just colorism but also about the experience of women that I may not have had. And what I hear that that sounds like, what I see from the people that I know, what they tell me it feels like, all of those things are words that I use to kind of string together that experience so that it it would be the most authentic thing for the reader. And it it was a hard book to write because a lot of it does come from my own experience. But I will say in seeing the reaction when people that I know and love would read the book and I see them react to certain words that are there, I knew we kind of had something. Um, The most important thing for me was for the book to be 
rare for it to be authentic, for it to acknowledge an experience and for it to be soft and very real at the end of the day. And so I was I was absolutely inspired by my own experiences and what I know the experience to be for young women around the world. And so that's how we got to where we were with the book. That's beautiful. And if it's okay with you, I'd like to read talking about, you know, what you just mentioned, being an experience of others and kind of walking through and and being something that they can connect with and identify with. There were actually three poems in here that I really, really related to. And I'd like to read them because I feel like a lot of younger women know exactly. It's almost like you were writing this poem about each of us growing up. (laughs) And so, and I'm going to read these in sequential order, not that they're back to back, but just that this is one at the beginning of the book, kind of one midway, and then one a little bit later on. All right, let's do it. So the first one is, it reads, I've never been afraid of monsters under the bed, only the monsters in the mirror. This is a reflection of self-esteem at six years old. Because I never forgot the time whenever I was younger, and that's when I first started realizing what beauty was. And that's when I started comparing myself to others, feeling less than, and losing that sense of courage that you had from a young age. And so that one really resonated with me, at least the way I interpreted it was, you know, that's kind of when you're your own worst enemy in a way. And it's interesting how young that can start for a lot of people. Absolutely. And then the next one that I read, so that's like the six-year-old side. This next one's like that teenage side. And this one is, I used to lift my hands and caress the sky, hoping to run my fingers across the tail of my dreams. I used to find inspiration in the stories the stars told as they sat around the moon. As years went by, I became distracted at the calls for love. So young and naive, I let him drown out my favorite songs from the sun until I couldn't hear the sky sing anymore. And for me, it was just kind of like, wow, that's, I, I had a toxic relationship in my teens. And so that kind of brought me back to that because I was like, wow, in trying to find your, you know, you lose your own self, um, your identity or your esteem. And then all of a sudden you're dating someone and you want to put them first. And you kind of put a lot of things about yourself in the backseat, which brings me to my third favorite. And this one's extremely short, but I love it because this, I felt like it encompasses kind of where I am now. And this one says, I was taught the importance of how to love a man, never how to love this woman. That I taught myself. And I thought that was just really cool, you know, going through the book and reading all these different poets. And I was like, that one for me was, it gave me chills because I was like, wow, I feel like I'm, you know, as an adult woman getting to that place where that's finally feeling true where you start to kind of learn and love yourself. And I think that's an incredibly powerful message for young women that are reading your book to pick up on and understand. And maybe, you know, they could be at any one of those points in their life right now, either that self-esteem side or, you know, putting the men first side, or maybe coming into acknowledging their own worth and accepting that and putting themselves first in that, in this big, you know, self-care topic that we're in now. Right. And, and interestingly, if you just kind of look at the time lapse, right, from what you started with when you're six years old and mm-hmm. you start noticing that people around you or, or women around you, beautiful women around you, are lacking confidence. And you don't even really know what that is just yet, right? Because you're still in it. 
And you're supposed to fear so many things, but at a very young age, the thing you fear the most is is not being accepted and not being loved. Mm-hmm. And that then translates into allowing yourself to stop listening to the songs from the sun, stop listening to those dreams that you have and the things that were most comforting to you about who you are, you know, those those things that build your confidence. Um, mm-hmm. remind you that you can do anything. And then in adulthood, if you're lucky, you get to remember that because you reteach that to yourself. And so it takes a long time to regain that confidence that you might have lost through a relationship or that confidence that you felt like you, you never had maybe, you know, mm-hmm. of your own experience. But at the same time, when I tell you the most powerful feeling that you could have is when you when you do see it, even if it's like the light at the end of the tunnel, you see yourself away from everything else, everything that everyone told you you were supposed to be. When you see that light, I mean, it's it's blinding, you know, and you kind of remember that no matter no man or no no peer should make you feel like your dreams don't matter and that they weren't worth chasing. And so mm-hmm. trying to remember not to be distracted by normal things that you want, like love, like friendship, mm-hmm. and allowing yourself to go full throttle into the things that are most important to you, even if it is just having a, a stable heart and being well in, in your mental health, even if that was the most important thing to you that that is priority number one. And once you do find yourself, again, it is it is something you want to remember to not let go of. And of course, you'll always be tested. You'll always go through another trial and another tribulation that's going to check you and check your growth. But at the same time, everything that you are is what you own and nobody can take that away from you. Mm-hmm. And I love that you said that because that's something that, you know, as a later adult, I've been going through a lot of is evaluating the experiences that I went through as a younger person. Mm-hmm. And the question I'll get asked a lot of times is, you know, I'm very much into manifestation. And sometimes people will say, well, what about the traumas I experienced in my teenage years or in my early adulthood or in my childhood? Did I manifest that? Is that what you're saying? And no, that's mm-hmm. that's not the case. You know, obviously mm-hmm. no one would ever manifest that to themselves. But I think sometimes we have these experiences that we need to go through in order to get out on the other side and become that person that grew from that. And, you know, it can be really, everyone's trauma is different, right? But it allows you to have that appreciation that you're talking about where, you know, that might not be why you needed to go through that, but that could then put you in a position later in life to where you're, it's kind of like that metaphor of like the phoenix. You're coming out of the ashes. You yes. are now su- such a, a, a more bold person. Maybe you're able to impact people more. We don't know what your story is, but I think it's incredible to look at it from that perspective and from that lens because sometimes, especially as we're going through it, it's hard to be able to step away and have that acknowledgement of, yes, that was really terrible. But if that hadn't happened, look at this other wonderful thing that's happened to me as a result. And, you know, kind of connecting it back. And I did an exercise recently. I think it was a book by Martha Beck. And she said, what was the best thing that ever happened to you in life? And then what was the worst thing that ever happened to you in life? And then 
from both ends, from that worst thing that ever happened to you in life, you know, let's take that a step forward and say, what happened after that? What happened after that? What happened as a result of that? And then at the same time, take the best thing that's ever happened to you and start walking back. What had to happen in order for you to get there? And then what had to happen before that? And then before that and before that. And what's fascinating is that you learn that some of the best things in your life came from whatever that trauma was for you. And I thought that was fascinating because it's like, you know, it's stepping into the fire almost so that you can come out on the other side and be this person that had those experiences in order to be where you are now. Right. And and you cannot, what, what would you grow from? You know, what would you mm-hmm. grow from if you didn't grow, go through anything? Mm-hmm. Specifically with that first poem that you spoke about, you know, the, the young girl looking in the mirror and, and not being afraid of the monsters under her bed, but rather the monsters in the mirror. Now, I, that is that is one that is very personal to my experience because well, let me just say this. For one, when I was a kid, yes, I was super scared of monsters on the bed still. You know? <laughs> we all were. <laughs> well, I just knew that it was real, you know, that I was like, clowns are the most terrible thing in the world and they're kind of mm-hmm. me. But at the same time, I had bigger, I had bigger problems. And my bigger problem is that, you know, from the age of, of five, I was diagnosed with vitiligo, which is a, a very visible and physical excuse me, not physical, but visible disorder where, you know, there's not as much melanin in certain places in my skin. And as a child in, in school, it is a very traumatic experience. And I thought that that was going to be the worst thing about my life. I thought that nothing could get worse than this. Right. And I was battling being able to look in the mirror, being able to be okay with how I, how I saw myself. And I wasn't okay. You know, of course, as a child, you don't know how to go through those emotions appropriately. But I will say that it was it was the thing that I needed to be able to be strong, as strong as I am today. It was the thing that I needed to know that at 26 years old, I don't need anyone to tell me how I can fix myself and that I'm okay with the way that I look. and. I can confidently tell another young woman how she can work through her own emotions and being comfortable in her own skin because of what I experienced. And I think my own experience is what makes them believe me, you know, and if I'm saying this to you, trust me, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be confusing. Sometimes it's going to still be traumatic in different ways, but at the same time, who you are is so much more important than what you think you look like to other people. So getting through that is difficult, but it is the most important thing that you're going to go through for sure. Absolutely. And I think that you are walking the talk because I can't help but feel like you have to have such a strong foundation of confidence and self-assurance in order to do something vulnerable, like putting out this very emotional piece of work And then saying, you know, to come hell or high water, this is going out to the people. People are going to be able to access this. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to talk a little bit more about what inspired you to self-publish and, you know, how some of what you were just talking about kept you going as you were going through that process. Yeah, I, I think the thing that kept me going was being able to, at the end of the day, hold the book in my hand, you know, and say that I did that, right? Going the self-publishing route is definitely not an easy one. 
I, I had support from a, a friend of the family who had self-published a few different books and, or excuse me, not he had self-published, but he helps other authors self-publish. And so having Mm -hmm. his support was pretty important in order for me to figure out what to do next and reaching Mm -hmm. out to other authors who had self-published and say, Hey, what did you do? You know, how did you do what you did? You know, was important. It doesn't mean that everything that I did, I would do again. I I still think that in, in, for any author publishing any book, through a publishing house or self-publish, there are things that you might go back and say, okay, I would do this differently, right? But at the same time, that body of work is something that I own completely. And that was the most important thing for me at the time. However you get your work out, be it self-published or through a publishing house, the most important thing to do is just get it done, you know, get it out there. Because what you have to say is important. What you have to say, someone else is going to resonate with. And it might be their favorite piece of literature. And all of the the mistakes and all of the mishaps and the extended deadlines are always worth it because your work is important. And that's the only thing that matters. However you choose to publish your work, the main thing is making sure that you get it out. I love that. And I also feel like that really ties into a lot of my listeners and followers So many of us struggle with this concept of perfectionism. And I think sometimes just getting something done and bringing it to completion and saying, you know what, it's not 100% perfect because nothing ever can be, but it's good enough. And the whole purpose is for, for it to just get out there because I can't possibly actually impact people unless what I'm putting together that I know has value can actually be accessed by them. And the way to do that is for me to reach a point of completion. Right. Exactly. And I totally understand wanting your work to be perfect before you put it out there. I totally get it because you, especially if you have consumers who are paying for something, you want to make sure that you're giving them your the best piece of yourself, right? But I will say, just like you said, when you are not, when you are not allowing yourself to put out what you have because you're waiting and waiting and waiting for it to be perfect, that hurts your consumers more than it supports them. Being able to say, I know I did my best here and I'm putting my, I'm giving myself a shot at with what I have, with what I can offer right now, I'm going to put myself out there and be vulnerable. And if, and if things come back and feedback comes back to say, Hey, this could be better, or I love this, that, that makes your process even better next time it comes next time, next go around, you know, because that feedback will help you grow. That is a part of you getting stronger. So I absolutely say that while we all strive to be perfect, it's just not, it's not possible. And Mm -hmm. what you're doing is everything that it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's almost like the act of creation in and of itself is perfect. And sometimes just letting that be the case. Right. Right. So how long did it take you to compile this book? And then what would you say the hardest part was? So it took me about a year to compile it. Or excuse me, it took for it to be completion from start to finish. It was about a year. The special thing about it is that I had I have been writing for so long that I had just so much work in different spaces in my life, in notebooks and in, in files on this computer or in my mm-hmm. email drafts, you know, so I was able to kind of pull pieces from different times in my life, which 
made the writing portion of this process a lot faster, but it still took me six months to make sure that I had that work complete, right? And I would say the hardest part of writing this book was being vulnerable, saying things that I probably wouldn't have felt comfortable saying out loud. Mm-hmm. And once I got it out and once I saw the response from it, I would, I would say each and every single word through a speaker on the White House lawn. Like that's how much I believe in the work and believe in the words that were said. But I will say that that portion of being vulnerable, especially in, in, in the section where we kind of talk about light love and fun love, I knew that my family reading certain chapters and, and reading certain things, they were probably going to flip. And they did. They were, not, <laughs> you know, they were really shocked to see some of this stuff because they were like, cotton candy, whoa, wait a minute. Like, this is <laughs> you know, this is too real. And they didn't want <laughs> me to say certain things, you know, just about, about my own sexuality, you know, and, mm-hmm. and being so upfront about that and, and being so upfront about pain. And I would say that it was a hard thing to say like, okay, am I going to put this in there? Okay, I'm going to put this in there. But at the end of the day, the result was fantastic. I mean, absolutely fantastic. Yeah. That's incredible. I love it. I think it's, I think that the authenticity in your book is what makes it so enjoyable. Yeah. Because if it's, you know, if it's something stale and if it's something that's, you know, going back to that perfectionist comment that we we're making earlier, if it were truly per- perfect, sometimes I feel like that we have a tendency to over edit because we like over censor ourselves because we're trying to be that whatever concept of perfection you have in your mind. You're trying mm-hmm. so hard to be that, that you self censor some of the things that you actually want to say. And then it would cause you to, you know, hypothetically, if you had that more, I need to be perfect mindset then you could have self-censored and not have been as authentic or not have been your complete and true self going into this, which I think would have ended up hindering the book. And it's kind of funny. It's like that catch 22. You were trying to be be more perfect by over editing. And then all of a sudden that's in effect what makes it not perfect. So it's like it's perfect in its imperfections. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Do you have a favorite poem of your your own? I do. I do. My favorite poem is one of the shorter ones. And I think it is my favorite because it is a common thread that I see. And I am a feminist of all sorts. (laughs) So this one was really powerful and important to me, but it just goes like this. If we were to lay our brothers along this table, the way they do our sisters, we would feast for weeks, ready to silverware. And to me, that poem sticks out the most because I believe women. I support women. I am a woman. Mm-hmm. And I know that with all that we experience, if men were to understand just a slither of what that might be like, it, it would it would be complete silence. You know, it would be mm-hmm. nothing but understanding. And so, in that piece, it was important for me to say that we are not drawing back. 
We are not afraid of you. We are going to press forward and we're bringing our silverware because we're not done at this table. And Mm. I think that just kind of ties into the specific work that I do and the organizations that mean the most to me. And that was one of my favorites on a, on a, on a darker note, you know, um, I'm here for it. (laughs) It was just super real to me, you know, and and all of my sisters who read it, you know, they were like, hell yeah, we're going to read this somewhere. (laughs) Like we're ready, you know? (laughs) Um, So I just, when I think about all those women that are in, that do inspire me, I, I, I think the only thing that we can do is push forward. So, yeah. I love that. That's a great one. (laughs) I love your friend's response too. like, hell yeah, girl. No, I mean my friends. My friends be with it. They they be with all with all of it, you know. So <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> and so, why did you choose poetry as your medium for to tell this story and the experience of not only yourself but others around you? Yeah, so I actually have been writing poetry since a young age. You know, I kind of mentioned before my experience just about self confidence and things like that, and poetry was something that I appreciated. And I'm, I'm, I'm a big softy. I'm a big feeler, you know, and Mm -hmm. I love to kind of jump into the deep emotions of the people that are around me and to get very real. You know, I love a good deep conversation like so many other people. And I think we're now called deep feelers. I think that's what we're called. (laughs) So there's a name for us. I, I just found this out recently and because there's another young woman who, who wrote a, a poet micro poetry book similar to mine. And, and sh- she was saying that we were kind of referred to deep fillers. And I was like, yeah, I, I'm with that. I'm with that. So, but yeah, from a, from a young age, I was a deep filler mm-hmm. and poetry was a way, an art form in literature, you know, to express an experience or a dream. And I love that. And I, I never wanted to stop reading poetry as a young child. My favorite, I remember my favorite author was Langston Hughes. You know, I was just completely embedded in everything that he wrote, everything that Maya Angela wrote. And for me, I just knew that at some point I was going to release my own book. I just thought it was going to be when I was 30 something. You know, I thought that was mm-hmm. going to happen, but it actually happened very young for me. That was something I could be proud about. And even today, when I hear some of the pieces from the book, it still gives me chills because I'm like, yo, who wrote that? That, <laughs> that was good. You know, <laughs> I like that. So I knew that now that I, I know that I have that feeling, I know that it was worth it. And I know that poetry was the right way to go in expressing this, this, this experience. And I love the title for the book as well. And there's a couple of different poems that allude to the title. But can you talk a little bit more in depth about why you chose specifically Tales from the Clothesline? Yeah, yeah. So the clothesline is actually one of my earliest memories that I have. My family is from a small town called Pollocksville, North Carolina. And it's so small that their bright personalities don't almost don't fit, you know? And I remember as a young child going down to Pollocksville and spending time with my aunts and my great aunts and her name was Aunt Lice and my Aunt Iris. And 
they were two of the most loving women that you would ever come in contact with, right? And they lived on this farm. And one of the things that my aunt used to take us out to do was go put clothes on the clothesline. And I, I didn't necessarily do this back home. We had a washer and dryer. And I just remember it being such a fun experience for me because of the conversations that we would have. And I was at it, I was very young. So it was probably poor nonsense, pure nonsense that she was keeping up with me about, you know, that I was just viewing at that age. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it was a really special moment for me. And I just loved how she enjoyed the process. And it was something that she and I did often. And when I think about these stories that I have and the process that it takes to acknowledge them, it reminds me of something similar to what it looked like for us to wash clothes and and put them on the clothesline. And the first thing is just acknowledging that whatever happened to us happened to us, be it good or bad, and saying, hey, either we love that or that wasn't cool and that wasn't okay. And we're going to do something about that. And then also talking about that experience that it looks like for a, a young person, like a teenager and saying like, I don't know how to express myself. I don't know how to say that this wasn't okay. And, but this is how I'm feeling and I'm trying to get through this and I'm just trying to make it and saying, and us and me acknowledging that that was okay, that that feeling was normal. Mm-hmm. And then coming into a space where you're kind of able to cleanse yourself mm-hmm. through your acknowledgement and recognizing that you will be better. You will be okay. But it just takes time. And I remember it used to take time for us to wash our linens and and get them on the clothesline and get them back so we can put them on the bed and get into a nice, warm and fresh bed with fresh linens and everything. And and it was an ode to that experience and an appreciation for the patience that she tried to sow into me from that age. I love that. And it also, in, in the way that you were describing it too, some some emotions that were evoked for me was just a sense of intimacy among other women, just doing something that was historically, you know, quote unquote, a woman's job. Right. But just like the intimacy of being able to share those kinds of stories authentically with each other while doing a task like that. And then displaying, you know, the laundries to, you know, the metaphor that you used in a very vulnerable fashion. Like here's mm-hmm. all of our dirty, clean laundry. It's all hanging up for you to see. And I just felt, I think so vulnerability and intimacy were like the two words that came to mind as you were talking about that. I love it. Yes, absolutely. And people, and people are going to see parts of you that you, that you wish that you could hide. But more often than not, many people are going to connect with you because of what they saw. Mm -hmm. So if anything, I, I write off of that. I love that. So now that you are a published author, where can people go and find this book that you put together? Yes. So you can find my book at giving geeks. That's two G's giving geeks.com slash tales from the clothesline. And it's all one word. And that is right now the only place that we are selling it. You might see that it's also up on Amazon, but we are not currently filtering our book through that platform. But you can purchase it at givinggeeks.com slash tales from the clothesline. Perfect. I will put that link in the show notes too for anyone that wants to go over, grab a copy. I highly recommend it. Join the vulnerable conversation with Suhela. 
So what is next for you? You've done, you've accomplished so many things by such a young age. You're, you continue to be inspiring for not only people within our community, but around the nation, around the world. What is next for your life journey? Oh, girl. <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. What is next for me? For me, uh, currently, I'm, I'm working on some special projects, and and hopefully these are lifelong projects and lifelong work that you know we can continue to do in fields that I have never been in before. And I would love for you guys to just follow me on, on Instagram at suwahid and to just kind of keep in touch with what I'm doing because I have some surprises coming up pretty soon that might be like, whoa, where did that come from? But <laughs> absolutely, I am trying to make sure that anything that I do, I do wholeheartedly that I appreciate with, with all of my being and that it's something that I know that is going to be a benefit. Right. And so I definitely say that I have lots in store that's coming up next. And really I'm just trying to make sure that throughout everything, I'm just want to make, make sure that I maintain a healthy state of mind so that every venture I go into, I know is a safe one for me. And I encourage you guys to do that as well to make sure that wherever you take yourself, let it be safe and let it be something good for you, for sure. Yeah, something that feels good and aligned. And aligned with what you love. And if it's, if, it's, if it's a risk for you and something that you know you want to do, jump, girl. Just jump, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It I might love that so much. Podcast with Brie Brown. Like, come on. <laughs> Uh, I love it so much. Well, I've really enjoyed talking with you this morning. I guess it's afternoon now, <laughs> but I really enjoyed connecting with you this morning, talking all about your journey, your book. And I cannot wait to have you again because I know that you're up to so many things right now. And we'll have to have you back to talk about this surprise that's coming for us all. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I will say just to add this at the end, if you guys do go to my Instagram, there is a link on my bio for you guys to purchase my book takes you straight there. So if anything, feel free to check me out on Instagram and use that tiny link that I have to see where you can purchase your own very special copy of Tales from the Clothesline. Perfect. And we will also include all of these links in our show notes on our Instagram as well in our stories. That way people can easily find you and find out all the things that you're up to. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Of I, I'm very honored to be your first guest, and I really appreciate the thoughtful conversation that we were able to have. Of course, anytime. Well, I hope to bring more of it in a later podcasts as well. This is something that I would love to get more experiences like yours on here and just bringing more people that can talk about these different issues that you know maybe I might not have much insight into just coming from my own experiences and my own background that I can't necessarily tap into some of the unique experiences that others have. So I really appreciate you bringing that today. Let's do it. Thank you, Ray. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with Suhaila and I today. I hope you got so many fantastic nuggets from her throughout this podcast episode. If you would like more interviews like this with really vulnerable conversations, please email me at hello at themodernmanifestation.com and let me know what you'd like to hear more about or potential people you'd like me to bring on the show as well. My goal is to bring you guys a new perspective at least once a month by bringing on other interviewees. And as always, if you haven't reviewed, rated, or subscribed just yet, I would really, really, really appreciate it if you would go ahead and do that. Have a fantastic week, and I will catch y'all next Monday.
Thank y'all so much for hanging out with me today. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with new episodes. As always, we would love it if you would share this episode with friends and family who could use the inspiration. As a new podcast show, we would really appreciate your honest feedback so I know what you like and what you could use more of. As a thank you for leaving us a rating, we will send you our seven weekly tips to create space for abundance. Make sure you screenshot your review and email it to us at hello at the T-H-E modernmanifestation.com so we can send them straight to your inbox. If you'd like to stay connected, you can find us on Instagram or Facebook at Modern Manifestation, or you can head to our website at themodernmanifestation.com. Thanks again for joining me, and I will catch y'all in the next episode.